thing here about uh, December 1975, okay? So it is a long time ago. Back in December 1975, I was one of over a million people who bought a single. Now, just for the younger ones here, single that was in vinyl, you played it on a, a record player thing. But I bought a single along with a million other people. Uh, it was produced by uh, and done by Queen, the rock group, and it was their single, Bohemian Rhapsody. You know Bohemian Rhapsody. I see a little silhouette of a man, Scaramouche, Scaramouche. Will you do the Fandango? You know, we could go on thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. I was thinking of maybe we'd go Galileo, Galileo, but we won't worry about that. Um, it was at number one for nine weeks. Now, the big question emerged uh, the following year. What were they going to do as the follow-up? And there was great expectation. And I was also one of those who was eagerly awaiting to see how you could follow something like Bohemian Rhapsody up. And actually, they did bring out a song which I think, and many others think, was as good, if not better, musically and lyrically, uh, than Bohemian Rhapsody. Whereas Bohemian Rhapsody was all about, the, it had these operatic arias, the follow-up single, Somebody to Love, was actually more based on, on gospel. Actually, it was heavily influenced by Aretha Franklin. Freddie Mercury, who wrote the song, uh, was really trying to express some of his emotions. Find me, somebody to love, and it is in that gospel Aretha style. Just uh, have a listen. I'm glad the audio is working as... I would give an input. Okay, I'm, I'm just glad the audio came on because I wasn't going to sing it. Um, but it was a, a lyric that really captured many people's imagination. It's been covered lots of times. Many groups have done it because the lyric was capturing something that folks could relate to. It resonated with them. Find me somebody to love. In fact, the lyric was written in such a way that it was not only implying find me somebody to love, but also implying find someone to love me. And that resonated with folks, this whole thing about love, being in love, this basic, essential, deep emotion. And in fact, when we were doing the questionnaires, these if-only questionnaires that some of you might have answered, one of the answers that came out, we could summarize it in this way, was if only I can experience real love, if only I know what real love is. Because actually we think we know what real love is. We have that sense of what it should be. We see it in its idealized form. Maybe you've read the novels, some love novels. Um, here's an aside before I get onto these things. Um, I, 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 I did live a pretty fast and racy life I, before becoming a minister. I was a librarian. And, uh, my, my job 
in Wandsworth Council, South London, was to take, I was librarian to the housebound and disabled, so I took books to them. I, in fact, my arms are somewhat longer than most people because um, I, they were large print, by and large, uh, for these folks, and invariably, after my sort of postgrad year of training and in-depth study, you know, what I had to do was get as many romantic novels in large print as I could possibly carry into the houses of many because it was love stories that they loved. And we love love stories, and we love uh, some of the programs. Um, you've got, maybe you recognize some of these period dramas. I think we've got Emma, we've got Sense and Sensibility, we've got Jane Eyre, and we have got North and South. Now, I didn't know that Rachel was going to say that North and South was one of her favorites, but Rachel just gazed there. I think it's bottom right, isn't it, North and South? Just enjoy while you can. Now, which one haven't I put on? What would you expect there? Pride and prejudice. Come on, let's get pride and prejudice. How can we uh, speak of anything else than, than, than pride and prejudice? These, these love stories. And... It's fairly formulaic, you know, it's boy finds girl, boy loses girl, boy finds girl again. But there's something in us that, that loves to see them overcoming all the obstacles and falling in love and marrying and living happily ever after. In us, we know, hey, that's, that's what we like, that's how it should be. And it's not just period dramas. Now, this is where I will lose my ticket to the, the men's club, but, but I, I love some of these sentimental romantic films. Um, Sleepless in Seattle. You know, if you've seen Sleepless in Seattle, and there they are, the top of the Empire building. Uh, yeah, oh, it's lovely. Um, I, and then, actually, one of my favorite films on the right-hand side, Serendipity. Seen Serendipity, it finishes, I, I think it's New York as well, it's finishing there on an ice rink, great finish, and there, here is my confession. This is my terrible, shameful confession. My favorite film is Notting Hill. I, I, and I, I get pretty gooey about Notting Hill and this scene. Okay, Julia Roberts is playing a character called Anna Scott, and if you've seen the film, and you should see it, um, she, she turns up in front of this shop, in this, in this bookshop, and she says, here I, uh, here I am as a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love me. What a line. Yeah, it's just, it, it's great. I know I've done away with my sort of man's card and you want to vomit because of the uh, nature of these looks. But that's love stories. We, we really do love uh, love stories. And if you want another conf uh, confession, now Kath will tell you, I do tear up quite easily. And one that took me by surprise when it comes to a love story was this one. Pixar's Up. Now, if you have seen Up, you know the scene that I'm referring to. It took me by surprise. It ambushed me. They have about a sort of, a, I think it's about 45 seconds montage of how this old fellow met his wife and, well, I won't give it away because <laughs> it's, um, it, it, it's lovely. It, it, it's, a, it's a real love story and, and, and it sort of rings with us. We feel the beauty of love so much. We, we feel it. We, we think it's great. We think it's glorious, but we actually wonder what's happened to it. 
What's happened to real love? We know what it's like, but it seems that today, real love has been replaced by physical attraction. You know, if you've got the looks, if you've got the figure, if you've got the rippling abs, then maybe you'll make it onto Love Island. But it's all about physical appearance. It's all about what's on the outside. Now, dating apps are great. I, not that I've used dating apps. Um, but, and, they, and they have their place. But let me see, one of the dangers of dating apps is it's all very external. You know, you look at a picture. If you don't like them, you swipe to the left. If you do like them, you swipe to the right. And, and that seems to be how it's done. And can I just say, for most of us, that's not good news. When it's all based on appearance, it's not good news because you and I, no, well, we're not physically perfect. And we're just crying out for someone to love me just the way that I am. Warts and all, love me for who I am as a person, not just on the outside, but the whole of me. And the trouble is that for some of you here, you have experienced love, but you've had your heart busted and beaten. Maybe there was a time when you were deliriously in love with someone, but it's just gone, for whatever reason, pear-shaped, and you feel as if your heart has been ripped out of your chest and stomped on. You knew love. You lost love, and it hurts. I think one of the things is, because at heart, you and I think we know we're rubbish. Let, let's be honest. That's, that's one of the things. We, we think we're uh, rubbish. And I, I think we ache to be loved. Do you know that's why when first love, can you remember first love? When you're a teenager, you do think you're rubbish. Uh, the young ones here? won't get that, but when you go into teenage years, you do think you're rubbish. And when someone comes along and says, whoa, you, I, I like you, you go, what, me? It's amazing. It, it really is quite radical to be told uh, you are loved, you're admired. The feeling is one of sheer delight and amazement. Look, we know a little about love. We know a little about its joy. We know a little about its pain. And the Bible, God's word, speaks directly into this whole situation. If I was to summarize the message of what the Bible says, it's this. And it's not original. Many others have said it. But it's this. We're far worse than we ever imagined. And far more loved than we could ever dream. We're far worse than we ever imagined and far more loved than we could ever dream. And you know, there's a picture, uh, there's a story in the Bible that captures this amazing tension. See, God wanted to picture how he felt about his own people rebelling against him. He, he'd got his people, he'd developed this people, his chosen people, the Israelites, the Jews, and he wanted to picture how it felt when they rebelled against him. So in this story, you can read about it in the Bible, it's a true story. He gets a guy called Hosea and he tells him to marry a girl called Goma. 
And at first, everything seems to be going well. They have their first child. It's a son. And there is delight. But tensions begin to emerge. A second child comes, and it's a daughter. And actually, as Hosea looks at her physical features, he says, is that my daughter? She doesn't share many of my physical characteristics. And then another child comes along. Goma is pregnant for the third time. And the same issue reoccurs. And God speaks into that and says to Hosea, you are to call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. He's not yours, Hosea. It's as if God actually says his first name should be Bastard. He's not yours. He's not yours. And that relationship gets harder and harder. Goma's absences grow longer and longer. She was missing for days. At times she said she was visiting family, but Hosea had heard the rumors. And as he looked after the home and as he looked after the children, his heart was breaking. He was often breaking down in tears. He loved this woman. And though this woman said that she loved him, he could hear the distance and the emptiness. He tried to talk to her, as you would in such a situation. He tried to reason with her. You know, what more is there that I can do for you? What more can I provide for you in your situation? What more do you want? But she didn't really answer. And when she walked out of the door without looking back, it felt as if a hot dagger had been stabbed into Hosea himself and twisted around on the inside as Goma treated him in that particular way. You see... God was deliberately using this situation to picture how he feels about sin and rebellion. See, I wonder if you've grasped this truth about the living God. I wonder if you've understood that God doesn't sit impassively back, judging the universe far removed from our human condition. I wonder if you realize that actually your sin injures God. See, all too often, you and I imagine that the stuff we do, which we know is wrong, which goes against our own conscience, let alone goes against the Bible and what God says. We just think it's like, oh, there is God sitting far away, some, like some distant accountant, and you just oh, he sinned again. Boom, 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 boom. As if it's just some sort of impersonal demerit mark. But, friends, we need to understand that sin is personal. Sin is wounding. Sin affects the very heart of God. We need to understand something of its emotion. We need to understand something of its seriousness. When we go our own way and do our own thing, it injures, as it were, the very heart of God. My friends, we are far worse than we could ever have imagined. We are infinitely sinning against an infinitely holy God. We are worse than we imagine. But there's more to this story. This story doesn't end there. You see, the temporary absences grew longer and longer until Hosea wasn't even sure that Goma was going to come back home again. Oh, 
he knew what she was doing. And he knew the names of some of the men that she was involved with. And then God spoke to him. And maybe he was imagining that when God spoke to him again, what God would have been saying to him was, Hosea, you know that there is a law uh, governing the Jewish people that says that if someone is found guilty of adultery, that they can actually be put to death. And, And maybe Hosea was thinking that is what was going to happen The only trouble for Hosea was he still loved Gomer. But actually that wasn't what God said. In fact, this is what God uttered. We read this in the Bible. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. Now, here is the remarkable part of this story. Somehow, we're not told how, Gomer has gone into slavery. She's become the property of someone else. And Hosea hears that she's for sale at the slave market. His wife is for sale at the slave market. The woman he loves is for sale at the slave market. Traditionally, in the slave market, the slaves are all naked. And you can imagine the condition that Goma was in. Drooping breasts, saggy belly, graying hair, wrinkles pockmarked legs and all the devastation of having been with so many men in so many ways. And she's there in the slave market. And unsurprisingly, she's at half price. The price for slaves was 30 shekels. She's half price. And no one will touch her. No one will go near her. No one will buy her except Hosea. And Hosea goes to this woman and he buys her. In fact, let let me read to you what he said to her. He said, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will live with you. What amazing love, what astounding forgiveness we we find there. And why? Why was it there? Why is that the story? It's so that we can understand that God loves his wayward people. God loves folks like you and me. Remember those words. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. You see, when I understand something of what Hosea went through, I understand, the Bible intends me to understand something of the love of God for folks like us. It's a faint picture of how that amazing love of God could care for a sinner like me. That's the situation. Are you entering into the feeling and the emotion of what is happening here? You see, the Bible says, I am a slave like Goma in the slave market. I have been defigured by my sin. 
I'm incapable of escape. I'm incapable of joy. But there he is. My saviour, my lover, the Lord Jesus Christ. As it were, he enters the marketplace of the world and he pays the price that I might be redeemed. We were thinking about that this morning. What Jesus does for us is to redeem men and women, to, to buy us back, to pay the price for our freedom, for our liberation, for us to be made clean. And it wasn't with silver or gold. The Bible tells me that the price that Jesus paid was his own life's blood. He went to Calvary's cross. He died on a cross. He died in the place of sinners. He took what we deserve. He died our death. He took our hell. He took our separation. He paid the price because he loves folks like you and folks like me. My friends, we're far worse than we ever imagined. We are far more loved, far more loved than we could ever dream. This is what Almighty God has done for folks like us, who've screwed up our lives, who've gone our own way, who've done our own thing, who've rebelled against him, and yet such astounding, amazing love towards disfigured slaves like us. Ernest Hemingway wrote uh, a story, and in his story, he told how a Spanish father decides to reconcile with his son. There's been an argument, there's been a breakdown in the relationship, and the son has run away from his father, and the son has gone to Madrid. So this father, who is now remorseful, deliberately takes out uh, an advertisement in the El Liberal newspaper. And in the advertisement it says this, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana on noon at Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. Now, Paco is a very common name in Spain. And the father goes at the appointed time to the appointed place. And he finds 800 young men called Paco waiting for their fathers, waiting for reconciliation, waiting for grace. And the wonderful thing is the love that we ache for is found in Jesus who's come and invites us, rebels, undeserving people, to come and to know him and find new life in him.